welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Service Accommodation Property Podcast with me, Kevin Paneskis. And for this episode, we're going to be interviewing Ben Brand. Ben the Brand, Ben of Stay BC and Ben that is doing really, really well in Service Accommodation. So I thought it would be a, a useful podcast for everybody to get to hear what is going on in Ben's business and also just to hear a little bit about his journey because many of you starting out in service combination, you know, you might be thinking that it's going to take me a long time to grow a service combination business, etc., etc. And um, Ben, you know, you're going to find his story pretty interesting in terms of, um, you know, what he did before service combination, what he's currently doing now, how quickly he's grown and his plans for the future. So let's, uh, without any further ado, let's introduce Ben Brand now. Just for the sake of people listening, but also watching, we're recording this as a podcast, but also we are um, videoing this as well. So on on certain channels like YouTube channel, etc., our respective channels, we will put it out on those channels. So for me, if you if you just search. Uh, property soldier on any of the different social media platforms apart from tiktok i'm not down with the kids enough yet to be on tiktok but search as property soldier on any of the the channels and you would also get to see video versions of interviews like this so hi ben introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and um, your background and what got you into service accommodation hi kevin thank you very much for that so um yeah thanks for the sort of kind intro um my name's Ben and I run a services accommodation business um, primarily out of South Wales at the moment, though we've got sort of some more stuff in England. Um, we sort of started our business last year um, in November with our first rent to rent. Sort of before that, I actually um, did some of the training with Kevin, which is kind of what sort of pushed me towards um, setting up a business in South Wales and going for service accommodation. But yeah, my actual background going back a bit further is I was like yourself Kevin in the army not in maybe quite such an illustrious part um, but I was actually in the intelligence corps for just over 12 years and that pretty much been my entire working life but I got to a point where I, I found myself wanting a new challenge outside the army and sort of looking around um, I came across your podcast and then property and service accommodations really something that spoke to me so I started lining things up up once I handed my notice in and yeah sort of got um I was in a position sort of last year in November to get my first rent to rent, which was um, quite an experience. And sort of it was um, quite uh, yeah, experience building up to that and learning it and obviously going to letting agents, trying to sort of find the first deal. And as I always say, the first one is the hardest. And it for us definitely felt like that. Um, but then from there, we were lucky enough that some people started approaching us for management. And sort of since then, um, we've kind of built the business up, um, heavily focusing on management in South Wales. So we started in Newport, but we've now got units here in Cardiff, um, Barry, for example. We're also in back in England in Bristol and Bath. And that's really just really focusing on providing good management, working with good investors, it's allowed us to build up to 40 units in nine months with a fair amount more in the pipeline. So, yes, yeah, just kept us 
very busy and been like well, has been a very sort of um, compelling journey so far and yeah i'm absolutely loving it to be honest it's um it's definitely a sort of a bit of a risk it felt like sort of jumping in at the deep end to begin with but now i'm literally yeah wouldn't look back on it at all in any bad way it's been like, absolutely life-changing stuff fantastic so it all started with the podcast with, with, with my combination property podcast right <laughs> yeah generally, yeah it absolutely did kevin it was um obviously I was looking for really good resources and service accommodation because I found a, I stumbled across property first and service accommodation sort of spoke to me as a bit of a new disruptive um, uh, sort of trend in property. And I thought, you know what, I want to go go in with something that's obviously a niche and sort of is growing. Um, naturally looked for service accommodation and your name popped up and I pretty much listened to your podcast. Um, well, I just changed my way through pretty much a whole lot in a couple of weeks and went, you know what, I kind of ran the numbers looked at the model and thought, I think this, this has got real legs here. Um, and I'm up, hands up in the air. I'm an absolute geek at heart. And the sort of systemization of um, service accommodation, sort of that fact that you could set a business up and sort of get it going and put a lot of systems in place to get it running effectively actually really spoke to me. And kind of my previous background doing IT in the military actually kind of lent itself towards that. So, yeah, I kind of um, your podcast definitely got me sort of where I, well, got me on the sort of path I'm on now. Fantastic. And then so... Then you, you stalked me out a bit more and came on my, <laughs> my training. Um, and so, well, did you come to a discovery day or was it sort of a, a, another event or what, my, what event was that? Well, I, and you, you're entirely on the money there. So I essentially did stalk you. So I signed <laughs> up for a um, discovery day and then yeah. I also signed up for multiple streams. So I basically got to watch you do discovery day and then multiple streams the following, well, literally the following couple of days. Yeah. So I saw you twice in, a silver, twice in a row in a couple of days. And yeah, at that point thought, uh, this is what I want to do for sure. So I signed up for your two-day training course, which I did last year in September. Okay, so came on the on the training, awesome. And and just to close the loop on this, and then you decided that um, you wanted some further mentoring, and so joined our, our mentoring program. And uh, we then, well, you 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 didn't hang about though. Some people do hang about and they, they just wait until, Oh, they just find out a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, but you, you just went straight, um, you know, straight into it. Let's not, because a lot of people actually, we won't talk about the, you know, I'll just close, close this loop because I, I do want to make this point about, um, training is, a lot of people uh, assume that, oh, if you want the real good training, then you've got to go on another course and another course. But actually, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that our training course teaches you what you need to know to go and do it. And uh, mentoring is a little bit more accountability and, and handholding and maybe a bit of pushing, etc. And obviously, yes, asking questions that might come along further down the road that you that are too soon to talk about at the beginning of someone's journey. But actually, you went straight from the training and, and started um, implementing service accommodation. Now, you mentioned rent to rent earlier on. I just want to make sure, Just I always like to make a distinction. And uh, I know you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I know, I know it mucks up. <laughs> so you haven't mucked up, not at all, because a lot of people will call um, rent to service accommodation, rent to rent, and a lot of people call rent to rent, HMO, rent to rent, and, and they use it as a catch-all. And, and there's no right or wrong way of describing anything, but I, I prefer to use the term rent to SA so that people understand 
what is the actual strategy being done? Otherwise, people might think that you took on some rent-to-rent HMOs. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a well-known guy out there called Kevin who also teaches rent-to-rent training. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that people understand the difference. There's two things there that can cause confusion that we just need to make sure. But I've covered, I've cleared that up, so we're all good. We don't need to, uh, to talk about that any further. So, But you started off on doing some rent-to-SA. And um, just tell us a little bit more about what you then uh, went on to do. Okay, so we got our first couple of rent to SA units. Um, first one was for a letting agent, so we were um, we just basically went round and spoke to a lot, of, a lot, a lot of letting agents, and a lot of, a lot of them were sort of said no, or maybe said polite no's, um, as in give send us more information and then n- not really sort of get back to you. But then we found a couple that were sort of open to what we were sort of talking about, and that started off with a lovely three bedroom house. Uh, we then got our second property, which was a director landlord, so actually through Gumtree, so that was really good because um, yeah, obviously director landlord. And we formed a really good relationship with them. And it was then at that point that we were um, approached by some people who asked if we offered management. It wasn't something at the time that we were actively doing naturally, but we had we were considering it um, sort of in the future. But, at, but we thought, you know what, there's nothing stopping us doing it now. And as soon as we'd done a couple of those and word started to spread um, and sort of um, some deal sources that operated in the local area kind of caught on and started engaging with us, suddenly that really started to um, speed things up because... Once we sort of formed these relationships with these deal sources who obviously had properties that were good for, for rent to service accommodation, um, then they put us in as the preferred management company and suddenly we had this nice sort of pipeline essentially of properties being brought to us, not the other way around, which was really good for management. So that's what really kind of acted as the catalyst to sort of really speed up our growth. And it was a kind of at that point we felt, well, the train has truly left the station. So people started leaving their jobs, we started hiring staff and then suddenly it became very serious quite quickly. So there's now actually four of you. Um, that, so you and your wife and your, your business partner and his wife have now left, left your jobs and service accommodation, um, your service accommodation growing business is uh, providing your income so you don't have to exchange time for money. What you do in terms of your own business, clearly, but... Yeah, it's not a choice. That's the thing, and it's um, it's completely different. It's, uh, I, 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 the work I do nowadays, I sort of don't begrudge at all. In fact, I absolutely love it, and I think that's the same for all of us, to be honest, because we're growing something. Um, and we've, I'm quite proud that we managed to put ourselves in this position, because um, obviously it's a big leap for all of us. We none of us came from sort of um backgrounds where sort of sort of should I say business backgrounds before we'd all had re- regular salary jobs, and yeah, to do this, is, yeah, I, I, I wish I'd done it sooner. In, in all fairness, yeah, cool. Well. You know, I, you left the army a lot younger than I did. I didn't leave the army until I was 40. Um, and um, it's, it's when the opportunity comes your way because ultimately you don't know what you don't know. And, and I, I count myself lucky in terms of I, I found a means of educating myself in property. I was 20 years um, untrained before finding property education. And, and a lot of people um, criticise um, property education, but I know for a fact that I probably would have been still in the army now um, with a property portfolio that wasn't in a position to, to allow me to leave the army because I was just, yes, I was uh, doing okay, but not well enough. A lot of people will be able to relate to that. And so me personally, I, I spent lots of money on my education, um, but I've got that to thank for the, the business I've got now. Um, literally just became an Amazon number one bestseller mm-hmm. <laughs> for, the, for the book, Service Combination Success. Um, and um, I, I, there's no way I could have done that on my own. Absolutely not. Um, yes, you need to bring a certain amount to the party and put in work and, and effort and your own skills. 
but it's, it's someone actually showing you the opportunity um, is 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 a is fundamental to success and 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 your testament to that i'm testament to that and and i'm not a lot of people have got bad things to say about the property training industry but me personally i'm i i know that i've got a lot to thank it for i just wanted to sort of make that that point because obviously i'm in a position where i do get flack and criticism for um taking people's hard-earned money and teaching them how to invest in property with it but um it's people like you that make me extremely proud and make me know that I can look at myself in the mirror and know that I'm I'm giving people an opportunity to to transform their financial future. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Kevin. I mean, I've done a lot of more traditional academic education, shall we say, and I've spent considerable amounts of money in, on on that over the course of my life. Um, but I've also spent sort of a, a fair amount of money on property education. And well, put it this way, um, the property education's allowed me to build a business which I can sort of see completely and utterly transforming my life. Whereas all the hours time money etc spent on more traditional education didn't put me in that position so just i can't leave that, leave that as it is basically yeah absolutely it just entrenches you further in a job doesn't it <laughs> yeah exactly. you're, um, you're basically tra training for a job that's what it is that's right that's right um so you mentioned something earlier that's really interesting and those people listening and watching will will probably um, they might not have picked up on it but it's um it's a strategy that um i i really love that you that um, came across and that is people that source serviced accommodation property for investors I really take my hat off to um, sources or deal packages who tie the, the loop in terms of providing the end-to-end -end service and identifying somebody who's a good service accommodation management company to actually um, put, put, put that ma SA management company in touch with the, the investor so that the deal packager sources the property and the, obviously, the deal packager gets the, the fee for sourcing the property, but also provides the, the end management solution for mm -hmm. that deal instead of deal packages sourcing a property. And presumably, Ben, that you can give some feedback on whether the, the property would work and whether it's something that you'd be happy to take on on, on a management basis. Yeah. Well, that, exactly. That's the relationship. And I think we do add a lot of value there because quite often they'll bring me a deal before they put it out to their mailing list. Um, I'll assess it. I'll do a spreadsheet. I'll sort of yeah, run it through the analyzer and whatnot and look at the area, use the knowledge I've already got or sort of my team has. Um, and then we'll tell them if exactly that is the deal a deal. And then they'll know, is it, well, is it worth putting out? Um, and then if they put it out, I quite often then speak to the investors. So I'll actually then essentially pitch it to their investors if I think it's a good deal. So that will actually use me as well to sort of obviously qualify the deal if it's good. So it's, I think actually we found it's been a really mutually beneficial relationship because we've not had to go out and find the properties. They've been brought to us, but we've made sure that we're only taking on ones that are good. So ethically, we're just sort of qualifying properties that we think are going to do well for the investors behind them. And that's, that's really great to hear, hear you say that actually, Ben, because I'm aware that some service combination management companies, they will take on property that may or may not work as service accommodation. They don't actually care that much because they're just going to be charging their percentage of turnover. And if it doesn't turn over that much, it's not going to hurt them, but it would hurt the owner of the property who isn't getting enough revenue through the door to pay all the bills and, and actually put some money in the bank. So you're actually doing your analysis on the deal and advising the deal sourcer and therefore the investor whether or not it's a good deal to, to get in the first place, but also, you know, it is still a win-win because if you get yourself a good property, 
then your management fee is, you know, it's going to be uh, a fee on more turnover on a property that does work um, well as service accommodation. So it's really good that you're doing that. And um, anyone listening and watching, that is definitely the right way to operate as a SA management company. Only take on a property that you know yourself, having done your due diligence, you know that it's going to work as SA. And a lot of SA management companies don't do that. Okay, so that's fantastic, Ben. So you're able, so people are hearing different things. So you're working with deal sources. So deal sources can come to you and help. You can steer them in, in terms of the right properties that, that work as SA. So that's fantastic. You're obviously providing the SA management. Now, when with the SA management of the uh, property, so I like to always tell people that if they can create a win-win situation in property, they have cracked the code and mm -hmm. then there's no limit to how many properties they can get their hands on. So for you, it's service accommodation, then you're now up to 40 units in nine months. Okay, so you're proving this point. So tell us a little bit about the win-win situations you're creating for the landlords. Uh, you know, I'm talking uh, avoiding section 24, capital allowances, and, and then maybe draw, so talk, talk about that first, and then I'll, I'll probably ask you about um, the experience the landlords are now getting as opposed to, you know, the experience they might previously have had by having properties as buy-to-let. So tell us a little bit about um, creating these win-win situations. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's especially poignant at the moment, given sort of the last three or four months we've gone through where some more traditional tenants have stopped paying rent, etc. I'm very proud to say that all the properties that we sort of take, we are doing rent service accommodation on ourselves. We didn't even consider asking for rent reductions because from, again, from an ethical standpoint, quite often when I, whenever I talk to landlords, the sort of the pictures it were that I give them, which I truly believe in is we offer long-term guaranteed rent. And that's sort of the similar thing that the properties we're managing, the sort of investors will be sort of going forward for. Um, so that in itself is quite a compelling um, thing for landlords straight away. The fact that we're looking for long-term agreements, we don't want a six-month AST because, well, we're not tenants, but also we want a long-term agreement. Quite often we'll be asking for three years as sort of quite a roundabout figure. Um, that's obviously quite compelling in itself because they can lock in that long-term um, finance Again, because it's coming from a business or potentially investor, we've got big, deeper pockets potentially than a tenant. And yeah, the last three or four months have proven really that, well, we've been able to prove to the landlords that have sort of had faith in us that we will con we've been continuing to pay and not even consider rent reduction or anything like that. So that's quite important in itself. And many landlords, just based on the sort of keywords that we use, long-term guaranteed rent, have been happy to sign up with us on that alone. As you sort of mentioned, though, there are even more compelling reasons, which I think, I think, makes the SA offering for landlords really, really compelling. First one, section 24. So the fact that people can obviously um, using, well, section 24 doesn't apply to properties that are used as service accommodation. We've worked with some landlords now who we've been able to inform about that. And it's because of their tax situation meant that actually they're in a better position giving their property to us to manage a service accommodation as opposed to sort of keeping um, it in use by a normal tenant. And then the one that I really sort of find most compelling um, and it's sort of, yeah, something I'm looking forward to really enjoying when we do more purchase to SA ourselves is the capital allowances. Um, obviously, it's a huge potential tax saving for investors um, and landlords um, with properties and yeah, it's quite a significant amount. And again, actually talking about that to landlords has secured us a couple of deals because the ones that have got it have like really got it. And you sort of see the kind of um, light bulb moment when you're talking to them about it and suddenly it clicks and like, oh, wow. And it goes from being what they think they might be on the fence and suddenly they're jumping off the fence and handing you their property. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of benefits we offer the landlords. I mean, on top of that, we maintain the properties to a really high standard. 
we have our maintenance teams going in all the time. We have our own cleaners now. So we, we do all of that in-house and we keep the highest standards possible because at the end of the day, we want to look after our guests because if we look after them, they'll keep coming back, they'll keep paying us money and the whole thing works. So I think it's a really good package for landlords. I might be a little bit biased, but equally looking at obje objectively, I still think I'm right. I, I do too. I do too. And so just for our, our viewers and listeners, um, I'll just, um, those, those that don't know about section 24. So section 24 is the mortgage interest rate relief reduction and um, ultimately the removal of mortgage interest rate relief. And so it used to be the case that you would get 100% um, relief on your mortgage interest. So just to explain, if you were getting £1,000 worth of rent, but you had a, an interest-only mortgage, by the way, this is for owners of property that own them in their own name, uh, but that is the majority of landlords out there still that do own properties in their own name. And so if you, that, that landlord's getting £1,000 worth of rent, but has got an interest-only mortgage that is, let's say, £750 per month, just using big handfuls here. And um, it used to be the case that that uh, owner of the property could offset the interest and therefore only, you know, be, be declaring 250. You know, it's, it's less than that because of insurances, etc. But let's just say de declaring 250 and paying tax on that 250. But now because of the removal of the mortgage interest relief, the owner of the property has to ultimately be declaring a thousand pounds worth of income and be paying tax on a thousand pounds worth of income that the owner is not actually getting because of the mortgage interest. So actually, the situation is that um, buy-to-let and HMO landlords are being taxed more on turnover. Let's face it, they're being taxed on their turnover rather than their actual income. They're not able to offset their business expenses as every other business mm -hmm. is able to do, which is a pretty unfair situation, especially as the right advice for so many years, including me, most of my portfolio is owned in my own name because I was following the correct advice at the time to be buying in my own name. And the government literally moved the goalposts on these poor unsuspecting landlords. And actually the National Landlords Association has predicted that it's going to create 600,000 higher rate and additional rate taxpayers because of all this uh, this false um, income going on the bottom line of people's tax returns, pushing them into the next uh, tax bracket, which is, is going to bite an awful lot of these landlords in the proverbial bum. So as Ben's just alluded to, you can take these properties off these landlords and um, use them as serviced accommodation. And now the income is trading income from the property, not, not investment income. And so that income goes on a different page of the tax return. In most instances, the furnished holiday let page of the tax return. And therefore, the mortgage interest can still be offset against the income. So that is the first benefit of service accommodation and the form of service accommodation that Ben is talking about here. And then the second benefit um, is the capital allowances. And capital allowances are um, allowances that enable you to offset your income against the capital allowances. So once a property starts to be used as serviced accommodation, then the, the moving parts, if you like, inside of the property become what, what is called plant and machinery. Not all of the moving parts, but a lot of the moving parts inside the property, like your kitchen, like your bathroom, like your, um, your, your boiler, your, your radiators, your, or the wiring system inside the property, or the door handles, a lot of the stuff. It's like if you shake the property, what falls out is plant and machinery. 
And so typically that comes in at about 35% of total expenditure on a property. So if, if the owner of the property bought, bought it for 80,000, spent 20,000 on it, they've got total expenditure of 100,000. So 35% of that is 35,000. So then, then they'll end up, given then the property to use our service accommodation, they're avoiding section 24 tax and they end up with 35,000 pounds worth of capital allowances. So how cool is that? So this is, this is one of the, the things, the incentives to incentivize landlords to give you their properties to use as serviced accommodation. And again, that this is one of the reasons, it's not the only reason you know, that Ben's got to 40 in, in such a short space of time. It's, it's all of the other stuff that he's doing, but it's definitely a really good way to, to incentivize landlords to, uh, to give you their properties to use as service accommodation. So I just wanted to, to fill in the gaps. There's, there's a lot more I need to, to teach people about capital allowances, etc. but that's just big handfuls in terms of so for people to understand the capital allowances um so absolutely so you you you've got yourself to to 40 now ben what where do you see it going in terms of um what other type of uh, property uh, essay investing do you can you see yourself going into um from here um at the moment we sort of well initially focused on houses and apartments sort of individual units but i'm really interested in moving to yeah, a model where we have multiple units under one roof we've just taken recently on a um block of four apartments in cardiff sort of a brand new development which is really nice and obviously great for us because it's easier to set up easier to manage once it's in place because you haven't got four places to go to etc so it's um yeah just easier to manage and also quite compelling in terms of numbers but i'm really interested in the apartment hotel model and I'm actively now sort of out looking at and sort of in a position where we've got some investors to start putting offers in on some sort of locations which would be ideal as apartment hotels. So yeah, realistically, I want to build up the sort of my company stay BC to be operating apartment hotels in South Wales, England, and hopefully beyond. Um, and I think there's a massive sort of, um, it's a massive niche that can really sort of be, re really be proved to be beneficial. I mean, around where we are here in South Wales, there are a lot of very tired, guest houses, B&Bs, hotels that are sort of been run sort of in the last century. They're not on platforms. The um, owners might be sort of, run, yeah, I'm not running them in the most efficient way. And it's not really a, an, an offering that a lot of people want. You sort of see the pictures on the OTAs if they're even on them and they're quite old and bedraggled. And actually these places can, if brought into the 21st century and sort of built in a slightly different model where they sort of do away with the dining and whatnot. And instead they sort of concentrate on having lots of studio apartments in. We've sort of seen a massive demand for one bedroom units um, in the places we operate at a high standard. And as a result, yeah, I'm sort of massively moving my company's direction towards the apartment hotel model, um, which is yeah, something I'm really enjoying. So we're essentially moving more into the developing space because unfortunately they're not already apartment hotels. So we're going to have to do the work to turn them into them. But I find that fascinating, to be honest. And yeah, it's something I've always really wanted to get into. So we'll continue to build our management services naturally, but we're going to start managing hotels soon or apartment hotels, which... I think it's going to really sort of um, yeah, change the game for us because we won't be adding on one, in one or two units here and there. We'll hopefully be adding in 10, 20, 30 at a time, which will obviously help us scale even quicker. Yeah, absolutely. And so just to, um, just to clarify this type of um, model for our listeners and viewers, the converting B&Bs and guest houses into, some people call them apart hotels. I actually quite like the term studio room hotels because mm -hmm. um, that, I think, more accurately reflects what the property is going to look like. So I might start coining that phrase, studio room hotel, um, because ultimately the model is that 
um, you will convert to the already on suite or the, the best model that I found is converting an already on suite room and putting a small kitchenette into the property and creating a studio. Now, the, the reason why that's really cool is that somebody can find you on booking.com, find you on Airbnb, and they are booking a self-contained unit now. They're not expecting breakfast because they're, by, they're, they're booking a self-contained uh, room. So the reason why it's so exciting, and Ben's absolutely right to be excited about this strategy, is because now all of a sudden what you don't need is the owner's accommodation, the dining room, the kitchen, the lounge, and sometimes, I mean, there's a particular deal that we're doing right now. The owner's accommodation was huge. It was over half of the building. Um, and so, but you, you, you acquire the property at its current, current commercial value, which is extremely low. Because as Ben rightly said, a lot of these properties are uh, um, not being operated well. So all of that space that's not being used, you convert those into studio rooms as well, and you significantly therefore increase the commercial value of the property. An awful lot of these, these guest houses and B&Bs, they're operating below the, the VAT threshold, currently 85,000. Um, and so they're suppressing the commercial value of their property by not declaring all of the income. And what they've done is they've made, given themselves a situation where um, somebody can only buy at its actual commercial value because the, the lenders will want to see the books and they'll only willing, be willing to, to lend on what is being shown in the books. And so absolutely right. Again, Ben's talking about finding properties that are already tied and dated because they are right for the picking because an awful lot of these, these uh, guest house B&B owners, they've got into their 60s and 70s and 80s and they want out, but they've, they've given themselves a situation where it's hard to get out because people can't buy the property off them with a residential mortgage because it's a commercial property. And people buying with a commercial mortgage or loan they they've suppressed the commercial value so therefore they're struggling to get out at, with a price that that meets their needs as well maybe they need to get a bungalow or, or, or something like that to move on to and there's just such a massive opportunity for us to create win-win situations with this type of property acquisition you can take properties on an exchange delay completion you can take properties on a lease purchase option where you can be operating the property but not needing to buy the property um, until later on so you could significantly add value to the property then exercise but before you actually buy it exercise your option to buy the property at the agreed price at its com previous commercial value but then once you've bought the property immediately refinance it at its actual new commercial value and be pulling all your money back out so that is just a, a flavor of the, the the ways you can be creating win-win situations with people to help them move on from the PNB guest house space mm -hmm. and you can take on the property and, and massively fly and create something that's significantly worth a significant amount more than, than it was when you took the, the property on and service combination is providing that vehicle to do it. And just to finish before we move on, um, the capital allowances on these deals are absolutely astronomical. Um, a friend, friend of mine, Ray McLennan, uh, recently, he claimed the capital allowances on a, a hotel project like this in, uh, in Scotland, and the capital allowances were £700,000, which means he's actually not going to need to pay tax for the next three years on his hotel, which is absolutely incredible. And 
it, what astounds me, well, it doesn't astound me so much, is that 96% of properties in the UK that could claim their capital allowances have not claimed. That's, nine, that's the properties that are eligible for. Um, but the reason why they haven't is nobody, you know, the government are not putting primetime adverts out there saying, have you claimed your capital allowances on your properties? And tax advisors and accountants also do not understand this. When we're buying guest houses and B&Bs, the owners of the properties have never claimed their capital allowances. They could have done, but they haven't because their own accountants don't understand this and they're not advising them to claim their capital allowances. They could have been earning hundreds of thousands of pounds tax-free, but they didn't do it. But So well, when we acquire the property, the capital allowances haven't been claimed previously, and then we get the capital allowances. So a lot of people ask me the question, how do you know if a property has claimed capital allowances before? It's extremely unlikely they have, but you, your capital allowance surveyor will be able to find out. But one thing to bear in mind is that with... Uh, property that is not serviced accommodation, the capital allowances could not have been claimed. So if you're acquiring a property to use as service accommodation and it was a normal residential property, um, no one's going to have claimed the capital allowances before because it would have literally been impossible. You can only claim capital allowances on furnished holiday let property and serviced accommodation property moving more into the hotel type space. So hopefully that clears up a few things for people on, on that side. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, the two things, section 24 capital allowances, that is where the win-win situation comes in. And I call it the perfect storm for service accommodation and the trend towards people wanting service accommodation over hotels is a significant upward trend. And we're currently experiencing the SA bounce, if not the SA boom. So Ben, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you did to, to get through the uh, downturn during the, the COVID, because obviously I know that you were fine. Uh, and then tell me a little bit about what's currently going on um, with your SA business in terms of um, the SA bounce. Yeah, so clearly when lockdown got declared, to say we were a little bit scared is probably an understatement. Um, I'll probably use a ruder word, but we obviously had to adjust. We were quite lucky, I think, in the fact that we'd chosen some good locations to start a business in the first place. Um, we intentionally didn't go to a place which, where a lot of people were already doing SA. We actually focused on, our, we've grown our business originally in Newport um, and basic laws of supply and demand initially helped us. And that was not, not luck in itself because we chose to start here. But also I, when I looked at service accommodation initially, I always was more interested in the, the model of sort of catering to businesses as, as well as sort of hospitality sort of customers, but more businesses. And for us, the experience we had is a lot of our customers that we'd already managed to sort of like convert into direct bookings by working heavily, sort of engaging with them, calling them, meeting them, et cetera, making any excuse we could basically to get them on the phone so that we could sort of try and convert them onto our little black book of customers meant that while obviously we had a bit of a downturn, bookings wouldn't be, would have been quite where it'd like to be. And we did have to reduce prices a bit. We were, however, able to sort of maintain sort of good sort of cash flow throughout the sort of deepest, darkest days of COVID. We managed to market our properties to um, key workers. We had a lot of sort of contracts and whatnot working on local hospitals to try and get them ready. Doctors, nurses, we had a fair few of them, which was um, particularly useful. We went to the local council when we actually sort of put up some rough sleepers in some of our properties as well. So we basically did whatever we could to make sure that obviously we'd ride it through and protect our investors. And that was genuinely like a massive concern of ours because these people had obviously put a lot of faith and money um, sort of our way and we really wanted to sort of repay that faith so 
our objective for sort of two or three months was to break even. I'm sort of proud to say in nearly every instance we did that and or managed to sort of maintain a bit of profit. Um, but as you say, fortunately, sort of we weathered the storm. We were actually able to still add about 15 to 20 units sort of during that time because we were sort of already planning ahead because we we're hoping, um, obviously this isn't gonna last forever, but realistically some people were doing service accommodation were getting out of the game. The reality was some people were handing back the keys and I saw it in the first couple of weeks that good, credible operators who had already decided at the sort of onset of any any sort of any sort of um, lookout of difficulty that SA was dead and they started handing back keys. And in my mind, that meant that coming out the other side, there was going to be less people doing this. And so SA was going to come back with a bang, which obviously now where we are now, sort of two or three weeks, Wales has sort of opened up a bit slower than England. Um, We'll put that down to politics more than anything else, but I won't go into that because that's a long conversation. Um, but yeah, Wells is now open for business and actually the advice for people on holiday is to use self-contained accommodation. So it's pretty much gone, well, very much SA's way in the last couple of weeks. And we've gone from sort of steady bookings, Monday to Friday, kind of focusing on key workers and such. But now weekenders have come back, bigger groups have come back and they're prepared to pay big money because actually there's not much supply. Um, and staycation has very much become a thing. It's a word I'm not particularly keen on, but obviously I'm keen on the consequences in all fairness. And yeah, we've had some really chunky bookings. So we've raised our prices about 40 to 50% across the board in many of our properties, um, which has been nice. And people are still happy to pay the rates. They're coming in larger groups. Um, and yeah, they're sort of coming to our properties, which we sort of intentionally prepared for and got ready in time for this period. So we're going to keep growing now because I see, see, I think the opportunity is going to continue for quite some time. But yeah, I'm sort of really glad that we decided to not only weather the storm, but sort of try and put ourselves in a position to take advantage of sort of the increase in bookings once sort of things went back to the way they have been. So yeah, it's been an interesting period. But what I also will say is we've learned so much and done so many things that we wouldn't have done had it just been a normal year. And I think it's a bit of a testament sort of to the confidence on our business now that we were able to make things work and expand during a pandemic, which means touch lots of wood the model is now going to prove to work even better. Now we are where we are. So I suppose, yeah, that's it in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and you're absolutely right. We, we saw it too. People were a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. So maybe they were overly reliant on, Air, on Airbnb and Booking.com, which um, some people are. And so obviously we're always teaching people to, to focus on getting direct bookings, focus on who's coming to your area, reaching out to them, going the extra mile to secure direct bookings through to your website. You're, you're cutting out the OTA commissions, the online travel agents, you're booking.com, Airbnbs. You're cutting out those commissions as well. And you're, you're building up your own list, your own customer base. And, and when other people, their businesses collapsed because their only source of bookings was Airbnb and booking.com, you were obviously able to, to not just tick over, but still make a profit during the, the worst time of, of the lockdown. And let's face it, what happened is, is coming out the other side of the lockdown, you're absolutely right, there's less SAs out there because people um, turned their properties back into buy-to-let, so they might put a buy-to-let tenant into the property, so they, they've let tenants move into their furnished, lovely SA properties. They're not getting them back like that, <laughs> probably. Right. And, um, and so there's less of those. There's people that um, obviously sold, um, people handed, um, SA management companies just handed the properties back to um, the owners, etc. And so there's less SAs on the flip side now, which actually means that there's more demand for SA and when there's more demand for something, the price of that thing goes up, doesn't it? So those of us that, that obviously weathered the storm and those people that are thinking that is that now a good time to get into service accommodation, to start service accommodation, it absolutely is. 
Um, and some people want worry that, oh, well, is there too many essays in my town? Well, I don't think so. I think the, the amount of essays in your town reflects the demand for essays in your town. And actually, you only need to be worrying about the, the, your competitors that are scoring really highly on, on Airbnb and Booking.com because that's the space that you're going to want to occupy. And so people are more likely to book you other over and above the, your competitors that are scoring below your eights on Booking.com and, and you know, below your four and a halfs on Airbnb, et cetera, et cetera. So I do always give people that advice. And, and just remember that if you do what Ben does, and you go the extra mile and you, you, you try and get your own customers, your own direct bookers, and you, you chase, repeat, you, t you, you, you target people that stayed with you before. I'm presuming you do this, Ben, and retargeting your, your guests that stayed with you, offering them discounts if they came mm -hmm. in via booking.com, Airbnb. All of these things you can do in your area. And as long as Ben, like Ben said, you do the due diligence, you use the deal analyzer that I know that Ben obviously came through our training and uses ours, probably modified it because you're a bit of a techie and, and added bits, bolt-ons <laughs> and things to it. Yeah, absolutely. But um, you use a, a credible deal analyzer, do your due diligence, do the hard yards, and that will tell you whether the essay will still work in your area, even if there are some there. And sometimes people say, well, what if there aren't any essays in my area? Does that mean it doesn't work? Well, again, it, you have to just do your own due diligence because there might well be significant demand for essay in your area, but nobody's taken the plunge and gone and done it in your area. A good benchmark, a good barometer is, are there any hotels in your, in your area? Because if there are, then there is demand because they've done the market research on, otherwise they wouldn't have bothered to build the hotel there. So there's both sides of the coin that quite often sway people one way or the other, but please don't be led by the masses. You need to make an informed, educated decision. What do you think on, on that, Ben? I couldn't, couldn't agree more, um, especially looking at areas where it's, that aren't the obvious choice. I completely agree. I'll go back to your first point in all fairness that, for me, I think to be successful in SA in a place that has got a lot of SA operators, the recipe for success is pretty easy. Just be better than everyone else. As long as you crack that, it's as easy as anything. So that's the way I would look at it. There can be 100 people doing it or companies, but if you're better than everyone else, then they're going to come to you, as you said, Kevin. And I think there's also definitely um, a theme for looking for places that aren't obvious. I remember sort of during your training, you sort of said something to me, which, I, which actually help me sort of choose to set up in Newport initially. And you mentioned that um, you should look for a, a sort of a city with a population of around 50,000 or more, just sort of a, a bit of a benchmark. And yeah, obviously we actually looked at Newport, which is significantly bigger than that in terms of population, but we've since moved into a couple of smaller towns, which are still a that bit bigger, but looking at some of the key drivers, i.e. are there hotels? Is there a lot of development? So are there going to be contractors, et cetera? Um, so university, hospital, all these things. We've come across a couple of little other quote-unquote goldmine areas where there aren't really many people doing SA, but there are clearly people that are going to be there that need accommodation. So we've set up units in these other places and they've done particularly well straight out the gate. So I think just, just focusing on the big cities, you can do it there. You can make, definitely make it work, but actually putting yourself in a position where there might be a little bit more of a niche can also be an advantage as well. So, so yeah, something we sort of looked at and I think, yeah, definitely sort of legs in it. Fantastic. Uh, awesome, Ben. And I, I suppose I just wanted to cover off another thing that a lot of people say to me. It's the, it's the, um, it's the yes, but brigades. It's the yes, but. And then people say, yeah, but what if this and what if that? Well, some people say, but what if 
service accommodation, um, the demand drops out of the market and, and, and it doesn't work anymore or the government say it's illegal or, you know, things like that. I always say to people, well, make hay whilst the sun shines. Um, things take a long time. Government take a, takes a long time to bring things in. And so you can see things coming a long way off. But, but clearly, if you're doing rent to SA, worst case scenario is you could hand the property back. If you're doing SA management, worst case scenario is you can hand the property back. If you do purchase to SA, worst case scenario is you could sell the property or just turn it into a, a, a HMO or turn it into a, a single let. A lot of people just, just it's analysis paralysis and they just think, mm -hmm. oh yeah, but what if, and therefore they don't do anything. And, and I'm very pleased to see that you're not, uh, you're not uh, guilty of that pen and you're, you're marching on. And whatever happens, you pivot. Um, if, if something comes your way like a COVID or something really significant like that, you pivot. And, and this is a perfect example of people that are able to still be successful in business, even though significant curveballs are thrown in the way. And I just want to sort of put that out there for the people that are maybe suffering a little bit from analysis paralysis and weren't worrying about the what if scenarios. Um, and because I, I do get that a lot. I do. Absolutely. So, so Ben, we're, we've probably been going for nearly, nearly an hour now. So, or maybe 45 minutes, something like that. And so what, for people that want to find you on, on social media and for people that want to, to reach out to you to, you know, tell us again, the name, name of your company and, um, how they might uh, find you online and the different social media platforms, etc. Yeah, of course. So yeah, my company's name is Stay BC. Um, yeah based in South Wales and also England, but we are moving quickly down the M4 and up north, so watch out. Um, we offer some offer management services, so as I said, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, please get in touch. But the main places you can find me are, um, I post every now and again on Facebook, um, well, yeah, or maybe maybe too much, some would say, but yes, please feel free to add me on there, send me a message, I'll be delighted to have a chat. I'm on most of the other platforms, sort of um, LinkedIn as well, and if you want to sort of see more of what we do, feel free to go on my website, which is staybc.co.uk. We sort of obviously have all our properties on there, which we manage. And we also describe the services we now offer sort of in terms of management and et cetera. So yeah, I'd love to, be, love to get in touch. So if you want to, please feel free to reach out. Awesome, Ben. And so have you got anything else um, that you just wanted to, uh, to mention? Anything exciting going on in, in your service accommodation life? Um, any points to make before we, uh, before we end this episode? Yeah, I'll just probably like finish off on the sort of previous points you were making, if I may, just with regards to analysis paralysis, because I mean, I come, I was an intelligence analyst for, by trade for nine years. So I was almost trained to suffer from that to a degree. And actually, jumping into service accommodation was a complete sort of I mean, change of tack for me because I hadn't had, didn't have any experience in property. I didn't have any sort of single lets or anything. It literally was for me. The only house property experience I had was buying my own house. Um, and I always looked at that and thought, ironically, I probably made more money out of that just in terms of its capital appreciation than any other investment choice I've made, which actually sort of spurred me on to a degree because I thought if I can make that much money accidentally, imagine how I could do if I did it on purpose. But yeah, and I think if you're looking at service accommodation, um, get trained and go for it, basically. It genuinely has changed my life. You've got to put a lot of work in. So if you're not prepared to go the hard yards, then it might not be for you. But if you get trained and put the hard work in, I'm sort of proof of the fact that it can work because I came from a position where I had no business background, I had no property background, and yet I've been able to make it work, I think, in a relatively short period of time. So yeah, I think sort of leave that one where it is, Kevin. And thank you very much for obviously inviting me on your podcast. It's been yeah, really good fun.
you're very welcome indeed, Ben. Uh, you're very welcome indeed. Yeah, a lot of people also, you're, you're actually right to, to raise that point. But a lot of people think, oh, well, surely I have to learn how to do buy-to-let first or HMO first or I have to do buy-refurbish with finance first before I get into SA. And, and actually, no, you don't. I find a lot of the people that we, that we train, um, I was going to talk a little bit about Wurzel Gummidge, but my, my, an awful lot of people won't know who on earth I'm on about. It's a scarecrow that used to put different heads on. <laughs> and we, we always have to sort of take their, their previous Wurzel Gummidge head off and, and retrain them to have think differently because service combination is completely different to buy to let and HMO and all of the other type of investment strategies. So you don't need to learn that first. You can go straight into service accommodation, rent to service accommodation. Um, I do, you know, I, I do prefer the way that you did it and you went, got into rent to SA first before going into SA management because you proved the model first. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I, before people go into SA management, um, is maybe convert their own existing buy-to-lets into service accommodation just to prove that the model works. And so, yes, you do your due diligence um, before turning your own properties into SA, but then then you've got the, the, the proof, if you like, and the reassurance that, yes, that due diligence works and these properties work, and then you invite owners of property uh, to come in and you manage their properties for you. So you, you've, you've definitely done it um, the way I prefer not to say that you can't go straight into SA management, but you just have to um, maybe give your investors more expectation management and just um, highlight the fact that um, there could be some significant benefits for them, but not to be overselling the fact that um, your experience in service accommodation. So people can go straight into SA management, but clearly um, uh, there's a different way of doing it, and which is the way that you have done, which I um, definitely advocate so thank you very much for your time today ben I, i've really enjoyed uh, speaking to you as always um you are leading by example you are inspiring others and so i look forward to seeing you grow and um world domination no doubt in in service accommodation i've got a feeling that we're going to be seeing more of you and i've got a feeling that uh, uh we may well be doing more things together in the future perhaps who knows because we're definitely interested in, in the same um, area and there's definitely scope for people to, to joint venture and to join forces and, and together we all achieve more, right? I don't like people just feeling too competitive with other people and, and seeing somebody on the rise and think, oh no, um, they, 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 they're getting too successful, etc. I think that's the wrong mindset. I think that we can all help each other in business and collaborate with each other in business. And you know what? There's plenty for everybody in service accommodation because as Ben says, you just aim to be the best in that particular industry and the, the rise and the demand in service, service accommodation is so steep, we can all um, get involved and make the most of this opportunity that service accommodation presents to us. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode. Hopefully everybody in, enjoyed listening to Ben's story because it can be a little bit samey listening to me go on about it. So I do prefer other people um, giving their take on uh, service accommodation. So thank you very much for listening and watching everybody. Just a uh, final farewell to Ben. Thanks so much, Kevin. Take care, everybody. And yeah, I suppose here's your success in service accommodation. He's stealing my line, right? That's it. I'm putting my finger, I'm putting my foot down now. He's stealing my lines already. Um, absolutely. So here is to your success in service accommodation. And uh, this is my new uh, uh, catchphrase that I'm really, really enjoying. And remember, your future needs you. 
Take care, everybody, and I will see you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. Why not also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn more about property and serviced accommodation.